This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Um, I'm really delighted to uh, be able to participate in this wonderful symposium. Um, what I would like to tell you today is um, one particular aspect that is absolutely essential for uh, normal brain development, and that is to have proper parenting. Um, we've heard from the wonderful uh, talk from uh, BJ Casey right before me how important proper nurturing from caregivers is for a normal mental health of the infant that then um, become adult. And so um, the, the question we, we've, we've been very interested in is what makes a parent a parent? Um, if you think about um, uh, parenting involve um, one, two, sometimes multiple adults um, that take care of an infant. The relationship is completely asymmetrical. Um, there is really a very helpless individual that requires a lot, a lot of care for a very, very long time. And so what makes parents be parents? Uh, it's, uh, I think, a very interesting uh, behavior, long-term behavior that has um, a lot of emotional components. And so um, this is is a behavior also that is uh, displayed by many animal species. It is absolutely essential for the development of uh, and the survival of the species. So the idea is that there might be some genetically pre-programmed neural circuit in the brain and what we're interested in is really trying to understand the neural basis. What are the specific neurons that are involved in the control of parenting behavior, in the display of parenting behavior, and when is it that this behavior actually goes wrong? And there are a number of circumstances in which the behavior goes wrong. One, this is one of, I think, one of the most um, uh, um, outstanding, really uh, impressive or, or very um, surprising slide uh, related to mental illness. That's the number of psychiatric hospitalization after childbirth. You can see uh, right at the time of childbirth this enormous peak in uh, uh, psychiatric hospitalization of women. And um, uh, these uh, are uh, patients that suffer from postpartum psychosis. Uh, this is very quite rare. Uh, it requires hospitalization because these women have obsessive thought about harming their, chi their children and therefore uh, they require very intensive care. These uh, uh, very um, way less uh, severe form, uh, which is postpartum depression, that affect 10 to 20 percent of mother and 5 to 10% of fathers uh, in the U.S., and these also come right after birth and result in an inability to uh, emotionally connect with children um, and, uh, in effect, uh, uh, impaired parenting. Now, um, there are quite a number of uh, risk factors, stress, life circumstances, prior depression, and sensitivity to hormone changes. As it turns out, um, uh, right at birth, uh, there is an enormous change of hormonal levels um, in in the young mother. You can see here progesterone, oestrogen, uh, oxytocin, prolactin. There is really uh, an enormous and very sudden drop in hormone level. Some people call these hormonal cows, and um, women in particular that are sensitive to these hormone fluctuation um, have really uh, difficulty in coping with those changes. Um, so. 
how do we understand the positive and the negative regulation of parental behavior? Well, let's turn to animals. So in animals and, and human uh, as well, um, the primary caregiver is usually the mother. And in animals and in mammals in particular, this makes a lot of sense because in mammals, the mother um, uh, uh, nurture uh, the, the fetus, the embryo in utero for a long period of time, and then in, is involved in lactation, so really involve enormous maternal resources in um, uh, uh, nurturing the infant, and therefore it makes sense that mom uh, uh, continue to nurture uh, the infant through parental behavior. What about males? Well, in most mammalian species, a very large uh, subset of mammalian species, uh, the males actually attack the infants, attack them sometimes uh, or very often actually kill them, and this infanticidal behavior has been widely observed in many, in many animal species. Um, and it has been, it is thought that this is actually an evol evolutionary driven uh, aggressive behavior of the males in order to uh, gain access to the females that are not accessible when they are nurturing their own infant. And interestingly, this is a behavior that is absent in monogamous species in which both the male and the female are nurturing their infant, and therefore there is not this conflict of access of the male to um, the female. Now, infant neglect and aggression is also occasionally um, displayed by stressed female. This is seen in animals as well as I mentioned in uh, postpartum depression and psychosis in humans. Now, we're not working with humans, we're not working with primates, we're working with mice, and in mice, there is, as in this uh, uh, animal species I mentioned, a very clear sexual dimorphism in um, the um, uh, behavior of animal, male and female, towards infants. Females, even virgin females or sexually inexperienced females, uh, spontaneously take care of infants. They will be the, build a nest. They will lick and groom the pups, retrieve them to the nest, and huddle uh, around the infants. Virgin males, in contrast, will spontaneously attack infants, wound them, and, and kill them through infanticidal behavior. So very, uh, very different set of behavior. However, males are not always infanticidal. And in fact, uh, strikingly, males after mating with a female are no longer infanticidal. And uh, the video I would like to show you here is from, if you wish, a certified uh, infanticidal male. This male uh, attacked infants uh, three weeks earlier. And then we had that male mating with a female. And then we're testing the behavior of this male now with these, uh, these pups. And as you can see, the male has built a nest and now is retrieving these pups one by one. And I should mention, by the way, that these are not the, the pups of that particular male. This behavior will be displayed towards any infant that is um, uh, to which uh, they are exposed. So all the pups are now collected to the nest. And as you see, this is a really good dad. It's checking that it has not forgotten any, any pups. Okay. Nobody left. Good. <laughs> 
let's go back to the nest and then take care of the pup. So this is a really fascinating switch in behavior that really indicate that even in infanticidal males, there is the ability for these males to be parental. So how is this happening? Well, evolutionary speaking, this is actually not that surprising because if you look at various animal species, insects, fish, amphibians, reptiles, birds, and mammals, they are species in which the female is always the one handling um, the, uh, the progeny. You can see little eggs here and little larvae uh, over here. Here's a tadpole on the, on the back of that frog. But very similar species, genetically very similar, show animals in which there is biparental care. So both the male and the female handle uh, the nurturing of the progeny. And similarly, also very similar species genetically have the male that exclusively takes care of, of the progeny. For example, this uh, beetle here with the little eggs here, or this male amphibian with the tadpole, or here this fascinating monkey, the titi monkey, in which the male is actually providing exclusive care of, of the infant. So what's happening here? Well, in, um, in mice, uh, what's happening is that there's a dominant male that mates with the female, and the female have a communal nest. This male is always parental. However, subordinate males that do not have access to the female um, are infanticidal, will tend to attack the male, kill the pups, and that in turn enable them to mate with the female, and at that time, they become parental. Now, from a, a neuroscience standpoint, this is fascinating, because what it shows is that the brain has actually two types of circuit. One driving infanticidal behavior that is displayed by virgin males, and one that drives parental behavior that is displayed by females and fathers. So the question we are very interested in is what are these neurons that control parenting and infanticidal behavior? And I would like to tell you today is how were we able to identify neurons that are necessary and sufficient to drive parenting behavior both in males and in females. And so what we use is um, a way to identify molecularly neurons that are active during a certain behavior. Behavior. And the idea is that when a neuron is firing action potential, they are also changing their gene expression. And in particular, they turn on a particular gene, a transcription factor called CFOS. And so if we have a female or male interacting with pups, then the neurons that are involved in parenting will fire, and therefore they will express this gene CFOS. So if we look at the brain of parenting animal, both males and female, compared to infanticidal male, we find that there is a subpopulation of neurons in one particular area of the brain in the hypothalamus, in an area called the medial preoptic area, in which you see this very dense collection of neurons that express this gene CFOS after the animal has interacting with pups, both males and females. So this is very interesting. It's actually not that surprising because already in the 50s, 60s, 70s, a number of groups uh, through lesion experiment have uh, shown that maternal behavior requires the function of the medial preoptic area. But what we really would like to know is which precisely, what precisely are the nature, the identity of these neurons that are CFOS positive. 
And in fact, this area, the medial preoptic area, uh, fulfill a lot of function. It's involved in mating behavior, thermal sensation, all sort of other function than just parenting. So knowing precisely and specifically which are the neurons that express CFOS is something that we really need to know if we want to understand the control of parenting behavior. So we tested a number of candidate genes, and we found to our delight one particular gene, the gene that um, encodes for the neuropeptide galanin as being very nicely co-expressed with CFOS when the animals are parenting. So interestingly, um, this, the number of galanin cells uh, in the medial preoptic area is identical in males and females, in virgin males and in virgin uh, male and, and mothers and fathers. In other words, these neurons are there in the male and the female brain, irrespective of whether these neurons are um, parenting or not. Now, galanin is a peptide expressed in many different areas. It has been involved in many different functions, such as nociception, sleep, thermoregulation, etc. So we don't know whether galanin has any role to do to play in parenting behavior. But the fact that we know one genetic marker gives us genetic tools. In other words, we are able to use a genetic line that expresses this enzyme called CRE. Uh, think about a Caesar, if you wish, that enables to activate uh, specific uh, molecular tool to manipulate the activity of neurons. And so um, the experiment that we've done is um, to inject a conditional toxin into the preoptic area of a galanin cream mouse. And what this does is that it enables us to, to kill specifically uh, this galanin neuron present in the medial preoptic area. No other neurons outside of the brain or within the MPOA, um, nothing else than these specific galanin-expressing cells are affected. What's happening when we test the behavior of females and fathers when we kill galanin neurons in the medial preoptic area? The effect is very striking. The ablation of um, these MPOA galanin neurons entirely abolishes both maternal and paternal behavior and actually elicits infanticide. So there seem to be a role of these neurons not only in driving parenting behavior, but actually uh, inhibiting infant-mediated aggression. Now we try the other experiment, a sufficiency experiment, which is if we now take an aggressive male and activate artificially galanin neurons in these uh, infanticidal males, what's happening? What's happening, and we perform this experiment using a technique called optogenetics that enable to um, express um, a light-activated channel in the neurons and then using an optic fiber uh, to, to activate these cells. And what we find when we shine light and activate these galanin neurons is that uh, infanticidal may now are no longer infanticidal and instead display uh, paternal behavior. So what this shows is that these specific population of neurons are both necessary and sufficient for the control of parental behavior in both males and females. Now, um, they, um, uh, parental behavior is a complex behavior, and what we'd like to do now is really to understand this behavior in mechanistic terms. So um, these uh, neurons, uh, as we've seen, are able to control parenting. Parenting means a lot of things, grooming, leaking, crouching, retrieving, nest building, and then inhibiting infanticidal behavior. But these neurons do all of this according, obviously, uh, to uh, the presence of an infant, but also according to uh, 
the physiological state. Um, male, for example, will either uh, trigger this behavior or not trigger this behavior according to whether they are fathers or not. And so what we would like to, uh, to understand is how are all these different displays being performed and, and what is the role of this environment in the activity of these neurons. And the first set of experiments that we've done is really try to understand whether these galanin neurons really are involved in all these different part of parenting. And so the experiment that I'm going to show you here is uh, what is called bulk imaging or volume imaging of these uh, galanin neurons. The idea is that these uh, neurons now are expressing um, a genetically encoded uh, indicator of neuronal activity. So these neurons are now going to emit fluorescence um, when they are active and only in this particular area. And what we're going to have, we have an optic probe that enables to visualize the entire Intensity of the signal. And so it's called bulk imaging because we don't have cellular resolution. In other words, we, we're looking at the activity of all these neurons together. And so what you see here is a female, and here a bunch of uh, pups over there. And um, uh, the animal has a, an optic fiber here, and what you can see here is uh, the, the level of calcium. And as the female uh, approaches the pups, you can see the level of calcium going up. And she's licking the, the pups, and indeed the level of um, calcium stays high. And then as she brings the pup to the nest and start licking the pup, then the level of calcium is really uh, going up the roof. Interestingly, we found that all the parts composing parenting behavior involve this galanin So that's quite interesting. Now, I'm going to show you another video in which this female here has a very similar type of behavior, as you can see. She's grooming something, licking, and then she's going to bring that... Um, that thing to the nest, exactly as she has done with the pups. But as you can see here, the level of signal is completely flat. What's happening? Well, although the behavior looks very much like parenting behavior, actually, she's handling a fish cracker. So that's not the pup. <laughs> and in these circumstances, galanineons are totally silent. So again, although the behavior looks exactly the same, what's happening in the brain, the significance of uh, this behavior is completely different and involve uh, very different parts of the brain. So in summary, uh, we started by the idea that uh, parenting is an essential behavior and that uh, in different species it's displayed differently by males, by females, sometimes both, and that uh, we were really interested in going to the cellular and molecular basis of this behavior. And um, we found this really interesting system in a mouse in which animals are or are not parenting. And we found this fascinating uh, neuronal cell type, uh, these MPOA galanin neurons, that now really give us entry into how parenting behavior is controlled. What are the different regulations of these neurons? What are their sets of projections? What type of input do they receive? And how all of these changes in both during development, in males, in females, and during uh, 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 mental illness. And I would like to thank the people, the wonderful uh, collaborator in my lab who've performed this work. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.